Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that's looking beyond the Omicron surge at what 2022 might bring for the property world. And to that end, it's time for our annual cross-sector forecast in which we will, as usual, be delving into the future of the commercial, rural and residential markets. We've definitely seen a change of design in a post-pandemic world. I saw Zoom Room pods recently, which have been integrated into resident lounges. Existing farmers and landowners have a huge amount of experience in farming the land. There's a huge amount of change facing them, coming from leaving the EU, their existing subsidies, support schemes, and there are new environmental land management schemes coming in. With ESG and staff wellness, etc., there is definitely going to be a move to quality. And I think that we're going to get rental growth and we're going to get very strong investment demand for prime officers. I'm Guy Ruddle. And uh, first of all, let me wish everyone a happy new year. Um, If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you might expect me to now be introducing the heads of research for each department, which is what we usually do when we do our annual cross-sector forecast. But this year, we've decided to take a slightly different approach and talk instead to the people on the front line and get their take on the research team's forecast. So let me introduce you to, first of all, Polly Simpson, who is a director in the Operational Capital Markets team. She's a specialist in the build-to-rent sector. In fact, Polly, you've been doing build-to-rent since build-to-rent was invented, right? Pretty much, yeah. Since, since, since the sector's existed in the UK for the last nine, nine years or so. Excellent. So that's our residential side covered off with Polly. Louise Harrison is a director in the National Farms and Estates team. Her remit covers transactions on everything rural from land through farms and estates to equestrian property. Louise, is that right? Yes, that's right, Guy. Excellent. Uh, Well, I'm not sure we'll end up talking about the horse market, but you never know. So that's residential and rural covered. So that just leaves commercial. Peter Cooper Parry is head of the Portfolio Investment Sales Team. He works across all types of commercial property, the length and breadth of the UK. Peter, uh, welcome to you and welcome to Real Estate Insights. Thank you, Guy, and Happy New Year to you. Great stuff. So let's get going then. Um, I think we'll start before we get on to, to, to what your heads of research have forecast and what you all think of those forecasts. Let's uh, let's do a quick review of last year. Uh, we'll go around the, where we went before. Polly, on, on, on your commercial residential side, how was last year? Well, Build to Rent went through a record-breaking year last year. We saw new market entrants, um, tightening yields, um, post-COVID design implications, and a real maturity of the sector. So that was fantastic for you. You presumably talked to your other colleagues in the other parts of the commercial residential sector. Were, were they as uh, were they popping the champagne corks quite as much as you, or less so? A little um, bit. We saw co living go from strength to strength as well. And um, on the more traditional residential um, agency side, you know, the, the the market had a fantastic year. The Savills, in particular, had a fantastic year. So that's commercial residential. Uh, Louise, on the on the rural side, I, I always think of rural being a, a sort of quite quite calm part of the property world. But what was your what was your year like? Um, rural's not so calm just at the moment. There's a huge amount going on in the sector. Farmers and landowners are trying to navigate the post Brexit era, um, and we're also seeing the role farmland can play in sort of climate change going forwards. The fundamentals in the market last year were very much the same as. Previous years, very low levels of supply, but the huge change was a strong emergence of the ESG-motivated buyer, and as a result, we saw the strongest price growth since 2014. 
Cool. So, uh, and uh, and Peter, uh, in your world, uh, the com- of commercial property, definitely not calm, I imagine. Certainly not. No, it was a great year, actually, um, from the commercial uh, sector perspective. Um, we had uh, investment volumes up and uh, returns of, of well over 10% um, for the market as a whole. And actually, I think that's pretty phenomenal if you think that that was achieved in spite of all the this sort of instability created by uh, the dreaded COVID and, and still with a bit of fallout from, from Brexit hanging over us. So uh, all in all, um, a, a very good year. Now let's look ahead. And as I say, what I'll do is I'll try and sort of do a 30 second summary, Polly, starting with you of what your of what the, the research department is uh, are predicting or forecasting for this year. And then you can tell me how much you, you agree with that and which parts of it you particularly agree with. So so here we go. I'll, I'll definitely try and do this in 30 seconds. Obviously, there's talk about interest rates, but nobody thinks interest rates are going to go up fast enough to put household income under too much pressure. But the mini boom of the last 18 months may not be sustainable. Uh, emphasis for residential investors will be on income instead of capital growth. There'll be reduced demand for mortgage buy to let. Post-pandemic lifestyle changes might mean family living uh, accommodation might shift to more uh, suburban or commuter type property and lots of potential to invest in energy efficient homes and things like that. I mean, I know there's, you know, there's months of work goes into that and I've summarised it in, in little more than 30 seconds. But but from your point of view, do, does all that strike you as, as familiar on what you would expect to see? Yeah, I, I agree. Lucy and Lawrence have done a, 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 summed, summed up the market pretty well. There's definitely a more of a shift towards income um, when investors and institutional investors are pricing these assets now. I think that's that's been that's been seen um, particularly over the second half of, of 2021 and I can only imagine that will grow into 2022. Um, Buy-to-let re- um, redemptions and reductions I think will, will further support growth in institutional well, institutional investment will need to support them the delivery of, of more build to rent housing. Um, we've definitely seen an emphasis on a change of design from in a post pandemic world. Um, whether that's going to consolidate in, in exclusively in commuters and, and um, in commuter areas, I, I, I don't know. I certainly don't think this is the death of urban living. And what we've seen from the in, in, investors and large scale landlords is an emphasis on um, co working accommodation, accommodated in. In these in multifamily buildings, um, the the I saw a Zoom room or Zoom room pods recently, which have been integrated into um, resident lounges that for, to facilitate working from home. Um, lots of emphasis on on well being and um, tenant um, mental health. And it, in terms of ESG, I think that's probably the biggest the biggest trend that we're going to see. Do you, yeah, that 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 is interesting because your particular sector of the of the commercial residential world, the build to rent, you know, it was a star last year. In the in the forecast for this year, you know, in the sort of comparative forecast of you know which areas are going to do well, you're about you're, you're pretty high up. You know, still doing pretty pretty well. Uh, do you see that? Do you see it being another really strong year for you? For, for your particular part of the world? I, I definitely do. I think 2021 benefited from a little bit of hangover from 2020 and the uncertainty that slowed down a few a few major transactions and deployment of capital. 
in in 2022, I think that that actually the the maturity of the sector that we've or the point in the sector which we've reached now, where people have been able to witness how assets have been performing and and what and and the stability of this income, the risk the the risk profile of the income and the you know highest levels of rent collection that we've we've seen, um, particularly over a pandemic world, means that I think that um, that that the build to rent is is definitely um likely to to perform in line with the with the predictions so one of the things that uh, the, the the researchers in, in your case Lucian and Lawrence have been asked to come up with are alternative picks of of you know those sort of yeah. tighter asset classes <laughs> which you you you're aware of so they have two each so in your part of the world single family build to rent uh, yeah. is one of the ones so that's specifically for for, for for families rather what does single family actually mean by the way single family is is the is is house it's suburban housing well right. as opposed to as opposed to flats and they've rightly put again because i think it was a pick last year as well which which i don't know whether they'd agree looking back if it was um a pick and and that's not because there's not capital um chasing the sector is because has there been as much deployment of that capital as as they could have been absolutely not and and i think that that um, there are many reasons for that. Just the motivations of house builders to sell into an institutional market at what was a discount, um, and um, the the kind of prevalence of help to buy supporting the the, the kind of individual retail um, sales market. I think that that it it probably is coming to fruition now that it's 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 right. And the other one is perhaps less specifically in your area is affordable housing, uh, in inflation linked. You know, lots of it's socially socially good, all that sort of stuff uh, are you a big believer in that as well oh com- completely and i think that, that they've they've um they've selected two areas um inflation linked lending to um housing associations which makes complete sense but also more direct institutional investment setting themselves up as 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 rps which we have seen um for profit and um more diverse income more diverse capital sources coming into that market and i think that that you know that's keeping our team at savills very busy as well Louise, turning to you on the rural part of the world. So, again, I'm going to try and summarise very quickly uh, what Emily uh, Norton, who is you know, your head of research in your part of the world, has, has said. So, put very simply, the carbon offset market is obviously going to be a massive thing in the rural sector in the next few years. Could be worth $1.7 billion this year, but it's still in its infancy. A lot of contractual risk and things like that. So, ownership perhaps more than... The renting forestry prices are pretty full, so not sure that they're going to go up an awful lot from here. Low productivity livestock land likely to be attractive to corporate investors for woodland and and, and planting and things like that. And a 5.2% price rise over the last 12 months is going to is set to continue uh, across land generally. Also, a little bit of stuff around. Uh, consolidation uh, of some farmers as some farmers abandon the sector because of changes to to the way that you know uh, uh, subsidies come through and all that sort of stuff uh, and there's a certain amount of impatient capital in the market I'm not sure what that means again d- it is that the picture that you recognise? I mean, you almost have to say yes, but... <laughs> I do. I mean, gosh, that really just highlights how much is going on in the sector at the moment. I think, you know, the carbon offsetting and sequestration sort of potential um, that farmland has been identified for and its role that it can play in helping the government reach its net zero targets in 2050, but also things like 
improving biodiversity. Um, you know, we are already seeing that. And in the last year, you know, that's one of the biggest changes we've seen, that biotype coming in to buy farmland for environmental, um, social, ESG reasons. Uh, Can I ask a question about that, though? Yes. Uh, and I'm not sure how fair this is, but, but let me ask you. Anyway, does everybody, I mean, looking ahead... Does everybody who's doing that, because this is obviously the big thing for the future, do they know what they're doing? Existing farmers and landowners, you know, they have a huge amount of experience in farming the land, um, very good businesses. But there's a huge amount of change facing them. Um, the change is coming from leaving the EU, their existing subsidy support schemes, and there are new environmental land management schemes coming in. Um, there's very little information at the moment on what they're going to look like. Yes, we have the environmental the Environment Act, um, the Agriculture Act, but the schemes, you know, we're waiting for more detail. And it's there's uncertainty as to whether the schemes going to be publicly funded schemes or whether there'll be private schemes as well. I think what is easier to forecast and predict is, you know, land is a finite resource. Um, it's very tightly held. We've had record low levels of supply for the last three years. Um, values last year went up I think actually to the end of the year around just over 6%, but north of the border, so up in Scotland, where we've seen a lot more activity um, driven from you know, natural capital and ESG, um, has actually increased 31%. So we are expecting you know, some of that to move down south. And is there anything uh, that's sort of not in the forecast that, that you think is particularly worth talking about in, in, in terms of 2022? Yes, I think one thing that's not covered has been the lifestyle and immunity buyers, which we've seen an increase um, significantly in the past 18 months on the back of the pandemic. People looking for more outside space and moving to the countryside. So the country house market has been very hot. Prime regional house prices have increased by about 9.3%. And so that market for lifestyle farms and estates is very closely aligned to that. Yeah, so the, the alternative picks that uh, Emily's come up with, uh, it's a slightly odd one because in a way, as a, 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 you know, forestry is still slightly an alternative investment anyway. But two things she said, sort of community energy supply. Uh, what, what, do you know what she means by that? And, and is there, can you tell us? <laughs> I think the key word would be alternative. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Um, you know, rural properties are very reliant on oil and in some cases gas. Um, we are going to be challenged with decarbonising them and making them more efficient going forwards. I think we do need to try and see rural communities coming together um, to do that. On, I can picture it on estates or larger farms where, um, and it happens already, You know, our clients are putting in ground source heat pumps, air source heat pump and other renewable schemes and spreading that out to cottages. Um, I think the challenge will be needing a central operator to do it or you know a landowner running that scheme and we've seen it successfully with say rolling out broadband yeah and the other one uh, in there is uh, grade three arable land which is sort of uh it's always been a bit of a sort of you know poor relation but, but versatile for for crops new crops like biomass crops or or growing hemp for manufacturing and things like that yeah, I think that's why Emily's picked it. You know, it is a very versatile um, land type. It's not seen the same amount of growth that, say, prime arable has, um, which is very much used for food production. Um, and then the other land type that saw a lot of growth last year was poorer livestock land. And that's because people are seeing it for its potential, either for tree planting um, or natural capital. Um, so I think that grade three arable is a you know good, solid investment pick. We've now done uh, residential and rural, which just leaves 
Peter's commercial sector. So, Peter, let me just, how do I summarise all this in 30 seconds? There's so much going on. I'll give it a go. Uh, What Matt Oakley, uh, the head of commercial research, is suggesting is London industrial property and warehousing nationally will be strong, probably double-digit rental growth. Hybrid working will temper returns from the office sector, uh, despite although higher headcounts and more space needed per worker might sort of counteract that uh, to a certain extent. ESG will be increasingly important, uh, of course. Retail shouldn't look at as one single thing. You know, shopping centres might have a, a really bad time, but retail warehouses might do well. And um, the long haul capital uh that's you know from other parts of the world uh could be coming back as travel restrictions ease and that could be particularly good uh i think i've done quite well <laughs> what do you make of all that peter well um think what i'm going to do in trying to cover and give some views on that uh, the <laughs> diversity that's involved i think that 2022 is going to be far more about uh, stock selection um than than sector uh, selection the sectors have probably gone through a fairly major structural rebasing, uh, particularly at either end, retail and uh, industrial. Um, so I think now there's going to be money to be had probably looking forward, but across all the sectors. But I think it's going to be critical to pick uh, the right assets in each sector. And I think the second theme I'd say, which is is going to be a recurring one, clearly, uh, ESG is going to become increasingly important factor uh, in uh, investors' investment strategies, in their stock selection, and then following through into pricing. So that's the sort of general look, um, trying to cover the, the different uh, tips and, uh, and views from Matt. Um, industrial and distribution he started with, which is probably the sort of the easy um, and popular um, sector of choice for the last couple of years. Uh, last year, for uh, just as a matter of interest, the, the return from industrial was 33% total return, which is a pretty staggering um, uh, uh, number set against uh, the, the other sectors in particular. So, I mean, the fundamentals behind industrial are going to remain strong. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but the whole thing just can't continue at the same pace uh, uh, and that uh, capital growth will definitely um, ease uh, ease off. So that's the sort of industrial warehousing side of things. Well, what about the office uh, side of things, Peter? Well, I think quite conflicting guy, really. I think that um, the, the, the agile and flexible working uh, scenario is, is clearly here to stay. And that is going to reduce the amount of floor space that most occupiers require. So I think that this will be a problem for secondary and, and tertiary officers. Um, and I think that we're going to see value uh, reductions and, and more repurposing uh, in, in that space. Uh, but um, as a counter to that, I, I think that um, with ESG and staff wellness, etc., there is definitely going to be um, a, a move towards uh, quality. Um, and I think that we're going to get um, we're going to get rental growth, and we're going to get very strong investment demand for for prime officers, particularly with the ESG boxes ticked. And I think they're going to perform exceptionally well this year as a result. So, uh, um, as with the others, uh, Peter, let me let me get you to talk to comment on uh, Matt's alternative 
uh, picks. He's come up with two uh, for you, Peter, to comment on. One is education, particularly with sort of reskilling and and uh, companies needing to train people more. And the other is data centres, the sort of global demand for data centres growing by 30% a year, particularly th- uh, an emphasis on data security. Uh, what do you make of those two picks? I would agree with Matt's rationale for, for, for both of the picks. Uh, and particularly from an ESG perspective, as you probably um, heard from my sort of previous comments, I think the drawback here is that uh, they're both um, relatively niche markets, um, and I, I I struggle to see how the supply of both educational and data center stock is going to to mushroom into to anything other than niche. Um, so. But however, where it does and where I think um, investment stock is created in either educational or the data centre markets, it's likely to come with a long income stream. Thank you for that, Peter. Now, now in a minute, we're going to do our new feature, Tell Me Something I Don't Know. But before we get on to that, I'd, I'd like to ask each of you very, very briefly to talk about what I think are probably the two biggest themes uh, uh, for the year ahead right now. One of them we've already talked about quite a lot, but if I could just ask each of you, you know, how absolutely central to everything you're going to do this year is ESG going to be? Polly, first of all. So I think ESG is fundamental at the moment and we're seeing every single investor ask us for the ESG credentials, the ed- wanting to know intimately the, the energy strategy proposed for developments and we are seeing it command a premium pricing. What what we haven't quite seen at, at a kind of blanket level is, is the consumer interest in this um, as much as we have the investor interest and I think that will come with time. Uh, Louise, I mean, it's almost all about ESG really, isn't it? Well, I suppose I'm, that's a bit simplistic but yeah we've talked about it a fair bit already but but is it just totally central to everything in 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 your thinking at the moment I think it will impact um, across the whole of the rural sector. Um, you know, food production is also really central in our sector. So I think where ESG um, is going to be key is the new schemes coming out to support farmers. Um, and also the new buyers coming in to invest in farmland, which we think is going to support prices. Um, and we've seen that renewed confidence in the sector already. Um, I think it's actually really exciting that farmland can be part of the solution. And Peter, uh, you've mentioned it a, a fair bit already, I suppose. But but any, any additional thoughts on, on ESG? Well, I think... Um, looking at uh, Matt's tips, actually, um, he's talked about um, it becoming important over the next five years um, with differentiation in rents and, and capital values coming through sort of in the longer term. I think I, I probably disagree with that. Um, I actually think that uh, we're going to see the differentiation come much, much quicker than that uh, and be more pronounced. I think you've got institutions, you've got REITs, you've got all sort of public bodies are going to need to report how their buildings, you know, comply from an ESG perspective. Uh, and very briefly, uh, we're starting to see uh, inflation and the, just the, the 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 hint of or hint of actual uh, slight increases in interest rates uh, right now. Uh, again, quickly around the table, Polly, uh, something to keep an eye on or something to actively you know, be concerned about or, or pleased about? 
Well, uh, I mean, it, thinking about it with uh, more generally than just build to rent, obviously interest rates growing. I think Lawrence and Lucy and identify quite um, um, quite rightly that the growth of interest rates has the ability to curb affordability of buying homes, um, which obviously will increase demand for rental product. Um, conversely, obviously, w- interest rates and yield requirements for institutional investors are intrinsically linked, and um, and so so what what will that do to pricing? Who knows? The market's getting more and more competitive for other reasons, though, as people are understanding the asset class more. Louise? Um, I think in agriculture, the main sector at the moment and looking at last year is um, inflation is actually very high in that sector. So fertiliser prices, fuel prices, you know, have really impacted on farmers' bottom line. And that combined with the loss of their subsidy is going to be a challenge. Um, so yeah. not so good. And Peter? I think really just one to keep an eye on, uh, Guy, really. Um, it'll obviously uh, impact on the, the the cost of debt for commercial property, um, but I don't think it's going to be particularly marked, uh, and it's coming from historically unbelievably low levels. So I don't really see it as a as a major issue in the short term. Now, uh, let's move on to our our newish feature. Tell me something I don't know, a little sort of nugget of information which uh, adds a bit to the sum of human knowledge uh, specific to your sector. Um, let's, do, let's do it in a slightly different order to what we've done everything else. Let's start with Peter. Why don't you go first? Tell me something I don't know. OK, well, I'm going to turn to my specialist area of, uh, of portfolios for this. Um, uh, the last six years of, of portfolio activity in the commercial markets have been dominated by uh, the big bucket labelled uh, alternatives, um, and then, but for the first time uh, ever, um, the portfolio market's been dominated by industrial and logistics, um, which have comprised forty-five percent of the overall uh, port- portfolio volumes during twenty twenty-one. So, uh, a, a big shift uh, and a sign of how um, unbelievably popular and uh, well-performing the industrial and logistics sector um, has become. Yeah. Uh, Louise, uh, tell me something we don't know. 2022 will see the celebration of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. At the time of the Queen's coronation in 1952, land prices were £80 an acre. 70 years on, the average price per acre is closer to 8000 at 7700 an acre. Wow. That's a lot of change. I mean, it's a lot of time, but it's a lot of change. Finally, Polly, tell me something I don't know. So people are always interested on the pricing dynamics of build to rent and um, just reporting loosely on those. Um, that we're seeing assets, particularly in the single family market currently, um, that are being marketed, the right assets, the right location with the right energy strategy um, and strategically targeted and run processes moving away from the discount to VP approach, which is something that's held back or a perception that's held back the sector for for for, men, for many years. And that was and that is quite unique to residential because obviously a vacant office is is worth is worth less than a than a let one. Um, and and actually I think that we're starting to see um pricing in line with with retail sales um if not um slightly above. Right. Yeah, well, there you are. You see, that's it. That's why we do it. So we hear new, interesting stuff. Can I thank all three of you for being part of what has been the hundredth episode of Real Estate Insights? I feel we should have a a bottle of champagne or or maybe just prosecco or something <laughs> like that. But thank you all very much for being here for this. If you want to delve into the detail more, you'll find plenty, of course, in the UK cross sector 
Outlook Spotlight Report, which you can find on the research section of the Savills website, savills.co.uk slash research. As I say, that's it for the 100th episode of Real Estate Insights. Thank you all very much for being here. Thank you very much for listening and see you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.